Hello, this is Liv Peterson from Entrenuity. Thanks for joining us today on the Moxie Podcast, where we bring you content to help you move your business forward by capturing the thoughts and techniques from entrepreneurs and business people doing real business with integrity and excellence. Today, we're bringing you Stephen Frazier. Stephen has over 30 plus years of experience managing business turnarounds and driving positive performance results at private equity sponsored and public companies and at entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial startups. In this episode, he speaks on lessons from failure and experience, how his background shaped his career, business lessons on startup challenges, business mistakes, and choosing suitable partnerships for your business. Take a listen and hope you enjoy the Moxie podcast. Stephen Fraser. I live about 40 miles northwest of here in a little town called Barrington, North Barrington. When people say, what do you do or who are you? I say, I'm a veteran CEO uh, who nowadays serves on corporate boards. I went to college for two years and bombed out. I had 11 jobs in 10 years, and the only thing they had in common was I wasn't qualified for a single one of them. But when you work really hard, people give you opportunity. In any setting, you will not be the smartest, you will not be the best looking, you will not be the wealthiest, you won't be the best connected, but you absolutely can outwork anybody if you choose to. And for me, that was that was my secret. So I had a bunch of different jobs, both here and abroad. And um, after 10 years of doing that, I had an idea to move waste products long distances by rail instead of by truck. In 1987, when I launched the first company, I always all moved by truck. And I lived in the Northeast, and it appeared that there was going to be a limit to how many landfills there were in the Northeast, but there were lots of landfills in other places, and you couldn't economically get to them. But if you could move it by rail, it would be a lot cheaper. Well, it was a really good idea at its time. It was a few years early, and we made a lot of mistakes. But I left the big company. Uh, I spent the next seven years trying a series of startups and did uh, a total of six hard start startups uh, from scratch. Those businesses, one was a leasing company, one was a transportation company, one was a consulting business, and one represented manufacturers all around this little world that we were inventing of waste by rail, um, crashed and burned badly. I mean, complete wipeout. There were four of us. Three lost their homes, three lost their marriages, one lost his mind. Now, I'm the only one who didn't lose any of those things, and it's not because I was smarter. It was because I believed God's hand was around me. Because I didn't, I, I was the youngest, I probably had the least to contribute uh, financially, but it was partly my idea, and uh, it was a very painful time. The businesses basically got rolled up, wiped off the map, and I started over. And I spent four years cleaning up the mess. Every creditor got paid 100 cents on the dollar. Every deal got cleaned up. In the process of that, I started another business, another two businesses that were related to the same concept, just done in a different way, that I eventually sold to a company in Chicago. So in 2000, I went into a new industry, which was it's called private equity, and everyone kind of has heard that name, private equity, but it's not really clear what it is. Private equity is 
a bunch of wealthy guys who put together money from investors to buy companies. They buy whole small companies. I moved into private equity not as a big investor. I moved in as a executive to run businesses. I spent eight years uh, running businesses uh, for this private equity group because they were bought for too much money because there were some problems with those businesses, all of which kind of predated me, I unexpectedly became an expert at turning broken businesses around. Spent eight years in private equity doing turnarounds. But after having done a couple turnarounds, I thought this is really exhausting. I'm gonna focus on just serving on corporate boards. Today I serve on a half dozen uh, corporate boards. The boards are responsible for strategy improving business plans, picking the CEO, figuring out if the right people are in the business at the very top level, and figuring out how to handle the debt structures of that. And although that sounds like a tedious job, what I get to do is walk alongside seven CEOs and be their coach. That's who I am, and that's intended to provide a little bit of context to some of the lessons that I have to talk about. Failure resonates with everybody, and we don't like to talk about failure, but one of the reasons I am capable and, and uh, successful as a board member is I have more scar tissue on my hands from having been around bad decisions, at least half of them were mine too. These are not just other people's experience. Being around disaster means that people say, you know what, you could come on our board, you could help us think about the strategy and help us avoid mistakes that you've made before or made, avoid mistakes that others have made that you've seen. My first lesson that I wanna talk about is, it's like a, a harmonic, it's like a universal truth. It will take you twice as much money, twice as long, to earn half of what you think you will. So you think you need six months and $20,000 and you're gonna make a million a year. It's gonna cost you $100,000 and two years of your life and you might make a couple hundred thousand. Now I'll tell you why it happens. When you start out with a business, you wanna build a consulting business. You wanna build a jewelry business. You wanna build a home nutrition health supplement business. Whatever it is, what you know about that is dwarfed by all the things you don't know. When you start off with whatever your business is, what you know is gonna be dwarfed by all the things you don't know. Now that is not to suggest it's not worth trying. It's not meant to be discouraging, it's meant to be sobering. It's meant to be a reality check. When you look at your business plan, you say, oh, I could probably get this off the ground with X. I could probably do it in Y years. Do yourself a favor and say, you know what? The hills could be a little steeper and it's gonna be a little bit longer. And I can't be surprised by that. I can't go, oh crap, I've run out of my money. Or I said I was gonna do this for six months and then I was gonna do something else. Give yourself a little bit of allowance for the fact it's gonna take longer and it's gonna cost more because what you know is dwarfed by the things you have not even thought about. And sometimes there are very good businesses that are well-considered, well-financed, well-connected. They're actually on their way, but they didn't anticipate a competitive reaction. Second uh, one I'm gonna talk about is enthusiastic overdriving 
your fact base. So you have an idea. I want you to visualize the idea that you have. You become so convinced that it's right that when you talk to your friends, you talk to your family, you talk to people about it, you're just a champion of it. And people are compelled by your vision. They love the passion. They want to be in on knowing the girl, the guy, the woman, the man. They came up with that next thing. And they say, oh yeah, it's great. I get it. Everybody's. But you know what? If you haven't done your homework here about your facts and really deciding, you know, how big is the market really? What is the price point? that is actually going to work. I had come up with a business that to me, it made a huge amount of sense and actually I knew based on what the costs were that my product was going to be better. But I hadn't think, I hadn't done enough research to talk to 25 potential customers because these were industrial products or in the case of a consumer product, a hundred customers and not just talk to them and listen to the things I want to hear, but talk to them and listen to the concerns that they're bringing up so that I don't let my enthusiasm. What happens is if your fact base isn't really robust, you're going to end up convincing yourself and you're going to convince your investors this is a really good idea, but you got to keep going back and checking it. Now, everything about this business made sense. It had all the advantages, except there were some things that we didn't bother to go out and check. And that was that customers would buy a compelling product. Say, so, well, of course they'll buy it. They'll save the money. The solution you wanted to sell required the chief financial officer who controls the money, the chief in, yeah, information officer who controls the IT, the chief operations manager who controls all the operations to agree that a third party could do a product better and cheaper than they could. And we absolutely could. But we could never get enough customers to agree to hold hands around that. Now we didn't think about that because we go to a CFO and we say we can save you two million dollars a year. I mean, what? How hard can this be? Or twenty million? Or two hundred million? Well, maybe the CFO did like it, but we hadn't talked to enough participants in those customers to find out where the tragic flaw was. Now it turned out not to be a tragic flaw, but it was a. Instead of being a business that became worth that much, it became worth that much. It was still a good return, but it wasn't justifying all the expectation because our enthusiasm overdrew our fact base. Take a little bit more time to talk to 15 people about each one of those ideas and listen. Ask the questions you're almost afraid to ask like, will someone pay for this? Does someone want this? Will there be enough people who will pay for it that I can have a good lifestyle out of it? How long will this take me? That's the kind of, that's kind of the, it's getting the fact base around is the market really, are the dogs really going to eat your dog food? And will they do it at the price that you have? And is the cost for it going to be appropriate? Partners. That could be the people who put in money. That could be people who say, we'll do the manufacturing for you. That could be people who invest with you and work alongside you. So this could be money people. It could be business partners who have a percentage with you. Pick your partners with as much care as you would pick a spouse. This is critical and it's tough when you need the money and someone says, I'll do the money, but you think I'm not aligned with them from a value standpoint. Or someone says, you know what? I don't have a lot of money, 
but I have time. I'm going to come and work with you. Will you make me a partner? Could I have part of the company? And you think, oh boy, you know, that could actually solve my problem. I have, I have someone to, to work with. Or a manufacturer who has excess manufacturing capacity. You know what? We'll make a deal. We don't want to put money in, but we're going to give you access to our manufacturing tool. We'll give you manufacturing capacity, and we're only going to charge you 10%, and we want a piece of your company. All of those are incredibly seductive offers. Pick them as if they were a spouse. You want to look at their values. You want to look at their work ethic. You want to look at their intellect. You want to look at their track record and ask yourself, is this someone who is going to be, I'm going to be comfortable to be with in the clutch? When everything goes wrong, and that will happen, every business has that oh crap moment, and usually a dozen of them. Is this person going to stick with me? And it is better to forego. It's better to forego that easy partner than it is to make a decision that you will be stuck with. Because once you become a partner, you it's like cutting off your leg. You're dependent on them. They put the money in, or they put a year of their life in, or they gave you access to manufacturing capacity, and now you got a contract. And you have warrants or options or they've got a piece of the business. Pick those partners prayerfully. I have kind of my own private rule for myself. When I'm interviewing someone, I say, would I want to drive coast to coast with this person? And if my first thought is, are you kidding me? Guys, he's a genius, but he's an idiot. Or you know, he's a, he's a, she's, a, she's a genius, but I don't think she's got her life together. Those would be the kind of things, just to trust your intuition a little bit, but go beyond that to add the analysis. Is this person someone who will bring me something that's unique? Are their values the same? Are they committed to the same end game? Are they looking at just this for money? Picking your partner with intentionality. Don't be afraid to trust your intuition. We always think everything has to be analytical and fact-based, but our intuition is this part of our brain that's calculating things at a speed we can't even begin to imagine. Trust your intuition. Don't make all your decisions based on your intuition. But if your intuition says, mm, something, I don't know what it is, I just, I just don't feel right about that, trust that. But there's also the intellectual part here that says, something's just, I don't feel good about it. And do your homework. Pick your partners with care. And if it means you have to put your business on ice for six months because you're not the right partner, that's great because you could spend years in litigation. And I spent years in litigation. This is the most counterproductive, painful, sleep depriving thing that can happen than to have a fight with partners that turns legal. Thank you for joining us on the Moxie Podcast. The Moxie Podcast is brought to you by Entrenuity where we help entrepreneurs turn their ideas into invoices. We at Entrenuity are always happy to hear from you, so please reach out to us if you have any questions or comments at www.entrenuity.com. Until next time, this is your host, Liv Peterson. I know that you can make a change. I know that you can make a change.